Thank you. Good morning. I'm David Fisk. I'm one of the assistant pastors here at in town. And this morning we're going to continue in our series of learning to love God's word. We're looking at the historical books. We're looking at First and Second Samuel, fifty-five chapters. You know, it's all about kingship. So I get to explain to a democratic people about kingship. Like that's kind of hard. Um, then it talks about a lot about putting your hope in your leaders. I said, Jimmy, this is two days before the election. He said, I know, I'm going out of the country. <laughs> New guy, you're up. I'm like, thanks, Jimmy. Awesome. But no, I'm excited about this. I promise. Uh, but seriously, like, part, th- this will sound weird, but part of me wants to tell you, y- you can't relate to this book at all. Because it's all about kingship, right? And when we think about kings, we think about fairy tales. think about Disney movies. We think about history, you know, like King George, King Edward, like old countries over in England. Over in Europe, I mean. Like England. <laughs> or you think of like Game of Thrones and like who should be on the, you know, the Iron Throne. Should it be Jon Snow or should it be Daenerys, you know? <laughs> but then a deeper part of me says, no, actually... Um, you can relate perfectly to this book. Because something Jimmy said a couple weeks ago about the book of Joshua was, you know, we don't wake up saying, I want a king this morning. But we all wake up saying, I really want life today. And I want happiness. And I want meaning. And I want protection. And those are all things that a king is supposed to do for you. And so you can relate to the idea of serving a king. And I would argue we all serve a king. We all serve a king. We all serve something that we think is going to give us life and joy and meaning. We all serve it. And one of my favorite theologians describes this really well. Uh, His name is Bob Dylan. And uh, he writes this song called Gotta Serve Somebody. And this is what he says. You may be an ambassador to England or France. You might like to gamble. You might like to dance. You may be the heavyweight champion of the world. You may be a socialite with a long string of pearls. But you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed, you're going to have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. You may be a construction worker working on a home. You may be living in a mansion or you might live in a dome. You might own guns and you might even own tanks. You might be someone's landlord. You might even own banks. But you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed. You're going to have to serve somebody. And I would argue, like, like he understands that all of our lives center around something that we think is going to bring us joy and happiness and uh, Meaning and protection. Something that we all have, and sometimes they're good things. Like we take these good things and we think, I have to have this. My life's not going to have any of those things. I have to have this. And we serve it like we would serve a king. And so in this way, we can all relate to this. So let me ask you this question. What is your king? 
Notice I didn't say, who is your king? I think we in America are good about not worshiping people, but we worship the things that they represent, like the ideologies that they represent. Who do you serve? Who is your king? What is your king? Money? Comfortable, easy life? Just want your kids to be happy? Control, reputation, appearance, success. What's your king? See, all of us serve a king of our own choosing. And in First and Second Samuel, we're going to see this warning about that. But we're also going to see hope. In First and Second Samuel, it's written around this question of what kind of king will you follow? So as I ask you that question, and as we hear our passage, I want you to think about that. What kind of king will you follow? So Tom's going to come. He's going to read for us our passages from 1 and 2 Samuel. Thanks, Tom. Today's scripture reading is from 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 4 and 5, and 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 8 through 16. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. Then from 2 Samuel. Now, therefore, thus thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I've been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and I will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly, from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel, and I will give you rest from your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the son of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. The word of the Lord. And this is the reading of God's word. Let's pray and ask him to bless the preaching of it. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us your word. You have not remained distant, but you have come close to us and revealed yourself to us in it. And Lord, you know that all of us are in different places and struggling with different things. Some of us are very happy 
Some of us are very upset. Some of us are very angry. Some of us are very sad. Some of us are apathetic. Some of us are just going through the motions. Lord, we're all over the place, but we thank you that you're a God who can handle that. And you're a God who can speak to all of us wherever we are, whatever we're struggling with. And Lord, I pray this morning that as we look at these two books, that you would illuminate new truths, that you would make ones that we already know beautiful again, and that you would breathe wind into our sails, that you would just instill in us a love for you and a love for others. We thank you for Jesus, our King. And we pray all this in his name. Amen. All right, so our question, what kind of king do you follow? What kind of king will you follow? Well, first I just want to say, kind of the, show you the setting and how this is a really, really important time in Israel's story. In Israel's history, they've always had judges who have been ruling over them. But now we're seeing this transition that happens. You see in verse 4 and 5 of 1 Samuel 8, all the elders come to Samuel, who's the last judge, and they say to him, Behold, you're old. That's very kind of you. You're old and your sons don't walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king. So you see, they're saying, look, we want a king. Like the judges have changed kind of like person to person, family to family. There's been a lot of transition. But with a king, you get a leader and then you'll get his son after him. And then you get his grandson after him. And then you get his great-grandson. Like, it stays within this family. It stays within this lineage. So if you follow the king, you follow all of his descendants, too. And they're saying, you see it in their request, we want a king. We're tired of this. We're tired of these judges. We don't want that anymore. We want a king. And God grants it to him. He says, okay, let him have a king. And he gives him a king. And I want to ask kind of two questions to help answer our bigger question, if that's not confusing enough, you know. Um, But I want to ask two questions. And the first one is, what are the categories for king? What are the categories for king? Okay, did you notice what kind of king they asked for? You see it in verse 5. Behold, you're old and your sons don't walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. They're saying, hey, we want a king that we choose. The categories are a king of the people's choice or a king of God's choice. And they're saying, look, we want a king that looks like all the other nations. Like, look at them. And they're looking around at these other countries and going, we want to be like that. We want to be like that. And that's the kind of king that we want. That's the kind of king that we're looking for. That's one. One category. And the other category is a king of God's choice. A king of God's choice. A king who would follow God. A king who would make God the center of their lives. A king who would make his rule as a leader centered on God and his ways and his laws and doing what God wants him to do. A king who would rule in a way that God would want. A king that would rule in a way that would bring life and joy, and meaning, and protection according to God. So that's our first question. Like, what, kind of ca- what are the categories for king? Our second question is, okay, who are the options for king? 
Who are the options for king? And this is what really the, the two books of Samuel are about. They're about these two guys, Saul and David, and about their kingship and about how they ruled. So first you have Saul, who in 1 Samuel 9, he's appointed uh, king. He's made king by the people's choice. They look at him, and they look at his outward appearance, and they go, we want him. And he's described as very handsome. He's described as a foot taller than everybody else. So apparently they like the tall guys, right? They like the tall guys. And he's strong. He's respected. He's powerful. He's wealthy. He has this great suit of armor that only a wealthy person could have. And he's this great fighter. And they're saying, that's who we want for our king. And that's who becomes their king. And he leads them into these wars against the Philistines. And he actually leads them to victory. And so they're thinking, this is our king. Like, we've made it. This is awesome. We're so happy. But then Saul's inward character starts to come out. Because he's told by the prophet, look, I want you to make a sacrifice, but I want you to wait. And Saul goes, "Uh uh-uh. I don't want to wait. I'm doing it now. So he makes this sacrifice against God's command, against the prophet's command. And then later, he's fighting in the war, and he violates the rules of holy war. And what I mean by that is this. He makes this rash vow. He says, you know what? Me and none of my people, we're we're not going to eat until we win. And so he fights, and they win, and everybody's like so hungry that they go, and instead of ceremonially cleaning all of their food like they're supposed to, they're so hungry, he's done this to his people, that they eat the food that still has the blood in it, thus making them all ceremonially unclean. So he has just led all of his people into pollution. He's led all of his people into sin. The whole nation is now guilty because of his rash decision. And he is this mighty warrior. He looks great on the outside. He's the one that we would all go, yeah, that would be awesome if he was the leader. We want him. But what you see when you read about Saul is he's actually this very insecure, jealous, unpredictable, rash, kind of does his own thing, violates laws of God, leader. And because of that, the kingship is ripped away from him. God takes it away. In 1 Samuel 16, verse 7, it says, The Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider Saul's appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. See, Saul was a king who followed his own choosing. He wasn't a, he wasn't a king who followed God. And so what happens? Well, God takes away the kingdom, but then God provides someone else. He says, look, I gave you the king of your choice. Now I'm going to give you the king of my choice. And in 1 Samuel 16, you can read about the king of God's choice. You can read about how God anoints David to be the next king. And then right after that, he goes and he fights Goliath. And he kills Goliath in probably the most famous story in all of First and Second Samuel. And he beats him, and everybody's like, oh, okay, that sounds good to me. I like that guy. And it's verification that this is going to be the king. And David defeats Goliath. He goes, he kills tens of thousands of men. He is this amazing warrior, too. He's better than Saul. 
But the thing about David, what sets him apart, is he's described as a king, a king after God's own heart. He wants to follow God. He wants to follow God. And 2 Samuel begins with David's triumphs. It begins with him becoming king. It begins with him, his kingship being solidified. He goes and he fights the Philistines and he gets the ark and he brings it back to Jerusalem and he makes Jerusalem great again. He makes Jerusalem really good again. again. Um, he caught that one, didn't he? <laughs> But he continues to rule in victory and he rules at home and there's all this life and there's all this joy and everybody's happy. And this is the king who God chose and this is the king that people are following and they're excited and they're living life and they're really experiencing it. And David is this kind of king. But not forever. David gets lazy. Instead of going and fighting off at the war, he stays at home. And that gets him in trouble with Bathsheba. He has his troubles with Bathsheba. He has her husband killed. He actually becomes a negligent father. He doesn't train his kids in how to be a king. He doesn't actually train his kids at all. Lets them go. In 2 Samuel 24, the end of the book, it ends with this plague on Israel because of David's sin. And so you see David's kingship also ends in ruin and disappointment as well. And, I mean, it's just going to show you that, like, even the best leader is going to let you down. Even the best human leader is going to disappoint you. There is no perfect leader. There is no one that is, like I said, not going to let you down. And so, kind of the warning that... that the books of Samuel are giving are, look, following God is not a one-and-done decision. Following God is not like a season and then you're done decision. It's not for a few years and then you're done decision. Following God is a lifetime. Following God is everything. It's all the time. And so the book ends in this warning and it ends in this disappointment. I don't know about you, but I kind of am thinking like, okay, if I'm a writer of the book I, I, and it's named after me, I would want it to be happy. You know, I would want people to think, well, why does it end in such disappointment? Why does it end in frustration? The book ends in disappointment, but Israel's story still has hope. See, the book ends in disappointment so that you will run and cling to the passages of hope. The passages like 2 Samuel 7 that have hope in them. And you will run to them and you will embrace them and love them and cherish them. And this is why the book is written that way. You see it again in verses 8 through 16. I won't read the whole thing, but I'll quickly go through all of these promises. In verse 8, God's saying, I've always been with you. And he's saying, I'll always be with you. In verse 9, I'll make you a great name. In verse 10, I will appoint a place of peace for you. Verse 11, I'll give you rest. Verse 12, I'll establish the kingdom of your son, his son Solomon. Verse 13, I will establish his throne forever. Verse 14, I will be a father to him. Verse 15, my steadfast love will not depart from him. You hear all these promises of hope? I'm not done with you. I'm not finished. I will be with you. I will stay with you. I will be faithful to your lineage. 
And then in verse 16, it's almost like God kind of takes it up a notch. And this is a passage that's, that's really common too. It's God making this promise to David. He's making this covenant with David's house. In verse 16, he says, And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. See, God's making a covenant with David's lineage, with his house, with his descendants. He's saying, a descendant of yours will always be on the throne. And so God's covenant with David's house is Israel's best hope for a secure life. It's, it's their best hope for a flourishing life, for joy, for meaning, for protection. It's their best hope. And so Israel had hope in David's son. They also had hope in his lineage and his descendants. And you know, when you're, when you're reading the book, books of the passages in the Bible, you know, you read the passage in context to the chapter and the chapter in context to the book, but then you also have to read the book in context to the whole story, right? So think about where else do we see the lineage of David? Where else do we see a list of all his descendants? We see that in the New Testament. We see that in the genealogy of Jesus. See, there's a third party here. There's a third option for king, and it's not a wasted vote. (laughs) A king who would follow God all the time. A king who would follow God and not his own. A king who doesn't get lazy. A king who doesn't get rash in his decision-making. A king who follows God perfectly. Jesus is the fulfillment of this promise. He's a descendant of David. He is the rightful king. He's the answer to this. In, in the Gospels, as they're presenting Jesus and trying to say, look, this is the king. This is our savior. This is the Messiah. Sixteen times he's called the son of David. Or descendant of David. And so you see, this is who this is. This is the descendant. This is the rightful king. This is the one that we should be following. This is the king who's going to come and perfectly follow God's laws and God's ways and bring us life and bring us joy. And he follows it all the way until he dies. Now I'm going to pause for a second and say, okay, You might say, David, Jesus is a great king, and he rules over everything. But why is there so much pain and suffering in my life? Why does my sister have to have cancer at 35? Why can't my wife get pregnant? Why does my marriage have to be so hard? Why do I have to still be single when I don't want to be single anymore? Why do I have to be laid off from my job unfairly and I can't find more work? You know, and even a bigger picture, like why is human trafficking the most financially successful industry in the whole world? Why is there so much suffering if we have this great king And it kind of comes down to either the king is good, and he's not, but he's not 
in control of everything because look at all the suffering. Or, the king's in control of everything, but he definitely can't be good because look at all the suffering that's going on. Do you see this dilemma? Right? And we struggle with one of these. And often you hear objections to Christianity in this way. How do you answer that? How do you answer this idea of why is there so much suffering? Well, here you go. Free of charge. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know why your sister would get cancer at 35. I don't know why you can't get pregnant. I don't know why you can't get another job. I wish I did. I don't know because I'm not privy to the king's decision making. And just because I can't come up with a reason or you can't come up with a reason for your suffering doesn't mean that there isn't one. But here's, what it, but here's the answer that I, I know it can't be, right? When you're asking, why is there so much suffering? Here's what I would say. It can't be that the king in charge of everything is not good. Because Jesus, who is the king over everything, goes and he enters into a broken painful, suffering world. And he experiences more suffering than you and I could ever imagine. Right? Like he experiences this cosmic, infinite suffering and wrath and judgment. He's a king who runs into it. He gives up being king to go do that. He's a king who takes his crown off and says, I'll go become a nobody and get killed as a criminal. I will head into a world full of brokenness and pain. I don't know if you've ever seen any of those 9-11 documentaries, you know, but they're video footage of, of, all the, of the tower, one of the towers falling and all the debris is, is coming at the camera and you see the people running from the, the debris and the ruin that's coming at them. They're running away from it all too. But then in those documentaries, you see these firemen and policemen who are running right into it. And friends, that's what Jesus did. That's why the answer can't be that he's not good. Because he said, look, I know that all this suffering is out there. I know that all this pain is out there. I understand what you're going through. And I am going to do something about it. I am going to run right into the middle of it. And I will experience more suffering than you could ever imagine. I will stop being the king. And I will go and be a servant. And I will go and experience more suffering than you could ever imagine so that you'll know how much I love you. You'll know how much I hate suffering. And so that you will understand that you have a king who wants you to have life and joy and meaning. You have a king who wants to protect you. And remember these promises that are in 2 Samuel 8, all of these promises that are laid out there for us in, I'm sorry, 2 Samuel 7, verses 8 to 16, these promises are fulfilled more so in King Jesus. They're fulfilled in the whole story of King Jesus. Because if you go and you read Revelation 21 and 22, 
This idea, these promises of no more enemies, place of peace, I'll give you rest, I'll show you steadfast love. You see Jesus bringing this into the whole world. You see Jesus saying, look, I'm the king of the entire world, and I've already defeated sin and death and suffering, and one day, someday, I'm going to come back, and I'm going to claim the victory for my own. And the king will get rid of all sin and all death and all suffering, and things will be the way that he created them to be. One day, someday, he will return. And as Revelation 21 says, it says, no more sorrow, no more tears, no more crying, no more death, no more sin. And you will be with the king face to face. And he will look at you and know everything about you. And he will embrace you. He will be excited to be with you. A king who will fully heal all things. He plunges into suffering so that one day, someday, all suffering will end. So just in conclusion, first and second Samuel is asking you, what kind of king will you follow? What kind of king will you follow? Are you going to follow a king of your own choosing? Or are you going to follow a king of God's choosing? The promised king. The king who would come and follow God perfectly and never disappoint him or never disappoint his people. A king who would come and would love you enough to experience more suffering and pain and death than you could ever imagine. Who would experience God's wrath for you. Who would experience hell for you. A king who dies for you. So that you could have what you long for every day when you wake up. Joy. Life. Meaning. Protection. There's only one king who offers that. Only one. And that's why we must follow King Jesus. Amen. Let me pray for us. King Jesus, we come to you humbly, just beginning to understand what it means for you to be our king, to put our hope in you, to look to you for flourishing life, to look to you for joy, to look to you for meaning, to look to you for protection. Thank you that you are a king who relates people who suffer. That you are a king who follows God perfectly. And you're a king who empowers us to follow you. Forgive us when we chase other kings. Forgive us when we serve other things besides you. We're good at that. Would you change that? Would you change us so that we want to serve King Jesus and King Jesus alone? Would you make in town a place where people know that we follow King Jesus and King Jesus alone? 
We can't thank you enough. We can't praise you enough that you would enter into a world of suffering and experience what you experienced for us. But we thank you and we want to give you glory and we want to sing to you and we want to pray to you and we want to live our lives to you. We praise you. Amen.